welcome to Novel Finds Podcast, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. I'm Julia, and today we have an awesome author interview with Jennifer Herrera, who has written a mystery thriller called The Hunter, and it's coming out in just a couple of days. Hello, Jennifer. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you doing? I am doing awesomely. I'm so excited to talk about this book and to talk to you. Um, Same. Mostly because, yeah, mostly because I haven't finished it yet. And so I want to, at some point, talk about my theories with you, if that's okay. Yes, please. Yes, please. I'm so excited for this. Oh my God. I'm so excited too. All right. Um, <laughs> but before we get into that, would you mind giving us a small synopsis of The Hunter and maybe a little bit of, about yourself as an author? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in the book, you have this detective and her name is Lee and she's made this really big mistake. So she pointed her sidearm at her partner and let a suspect get away. And when she did this, it blew up her whole life. So she lost her job. Uh, her husband left her. Her husband is also with the NYPD. She's basically drowning. And then her brother throws her a bone. So she gets this call from him and he's a police officer in her hometown. And he says, there are these suspicious deaths. Can she come home to Ohio and figure out what happened? And she gets it in her head that if she solves this case, like her whole life will come together. Her husband will forgive her and he'll come back. Um, she'll prove to the NYPD that she's an asset. They'll welcome her back. The only problem is that going home isn't exactly simple for her. She has a lot of emotional baggage and she has to work through it. And that's really obnoxious. Um, and as it turns out, when she works through her emotional baggage, that's going to be key to solving this case. Oh, right. and then about All me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I forgot about the second part. Um, That's okay. I am <laughs> from rural Ohio. And through a combination of luck and metal and being really, really scrappy, um, I ended up in New York City as an agent, a literary agent. So I sell books to publishing houses. And it is the coolest job in the world. Uh, I feel like a fairy godmother all of the time. I'm like, and you get a book deal, and you get a book deal, and you get a book deal. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. And it's it's honestly the best, especially since oftentimes I'll find writers who nobody has heard of. And my job is to tell the world why they should read those books. Okay. Well, that sounds excellent. Um, <laughs> maybe at the end, we'll have you, you can throw out some of the books that you want people to to check out too. Oh my um, God. Yes, please. Outside of your own, like feel free. Um, <laughs> but anyway, okay. So we're going to get back to the hunter real quick. In, in this, in Lee's hometown, there are these caves, like mm. the, there are these historical caves. Have you, they seem like they are, are a huge detail in this mystery. Now I'm mm -hmm. only halfway through the book, but to me, they seem like this is going to be what, what the whole mystery is solved with. Um, mm. do you have a particular interest in caves and their particular, in their like historical uses? Uh, yes, I am utterly fascinated by caves and also completely terrified of them. Oh, my um, God. same. <laughs> great, great. Glad around the same page. Yes. As you may have guessed, I have a pretty active imagination, so I can picture my own death pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And there are so many ways a cave could kill me. 
I could get lost. I could drown. I could be mauled by bats. So many options. And yet they're so beautiful. They're like these underground gardens. And historically, um, a lot of interesting things happened in caves. Uh You know, um, in the book, there is this shrine to the hunter. And, um, you know, supposedly there is this skeleton there covered in calcite. And calcite is just very sparkly and beautiful. So it looks like this, um, you know, this skeleton encrusted with diamonds. And this is real. So it's not in Copper Halls, Ohio, but it's in Belize. Um, She's called the Crystal Maiden. And I would love to see her to shine a flashlight on the skeleton that's been there for thousands of years. She was supposedly a sacrifice during a time of drought. Um, And yet I probably never never will um, because caves are terrifying. They are terrifying. (laughs) My, I have not personally ever gone into a cave, but I've watched the descent and know that I will never go into a cave. Um. (laughs) (laughs) That's accurate. If you would like some caves in Ohio that are less scary, Hocking Hills has some really nice caves. They have a special name because they're not like they're not like really deep caves. They're called recess caves. So they're like these okay. big overhangs where you can always see your way out. So like oh, if there's an excellent. avalanche, you okay. can run. Yeah, exactly. And there are a ton of waterfalls. Highly recommend it mm-hmm. for like yeah, those of us perfect. who maybe, you know, don't want to die. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I loved <laughs> the detail that you threw in about the caves in, in the story where there's what you can see and then mm. the the part where you can't see anything and I was just yeah. like oh so we're not going there but I mean <laughs> I mean I'm sure alert, but you are going absolutely going you're, you're going there yeah and the, um, the nice thing I think about caves is that um you know you have this character in the book Ronan who's really interested in union psychology right this idea that everything mm-hmm. is symbolic and so um you know in union psychology caves are really symbolic of the unconscious. And so there's this, what I think is a cool parallel where as Lee gets deeper and deeper into the caves, she gets more and more in touch with her reasons behind things that maybe she doesn't know. Um, Mm. So she's, you know, she's uncovering things about herself as she's putting her life in danger. Yeah. Yeah. But she has a really interesting superpower, essentially just like the gut feeling that ends up being correct. I feel like most of the time, if not all of the time. Um, Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I was really interested in with writing this book was to write a female detective felt like a female detective to me. I feel uh like so many times I'll read a thriller or a mystery and the female detective will feel very much like a man who's in touch with like very masculine qualities, like, Uh like, um, you know, this, this Sherlock Holmes type with this strict rationality. And I wanted somebody who felt more like, like the powerful women I grew up with, like these women who um, are in touch with like the intuitive nature of things that are going on. They know when something's wrong with somebody, they know when something feels off. Um, And by like tuning into all those things, Lee is able to see things about cases that maybe other detectives may not see. Yeah. I, I love, I love that. I think it is so cool that she's able to do that. Um, so taking just a little bit of a left turn, not much. The hometown that she goes to is a very close knit rural 
hometown. And I mean, it's in Ohio and you're from Ohio. Uh, are there elements from your own hometown that you put into the narrative? Uh, absolutely. Although it's pretty funny that in the beginning, I I didn't think that I had made the hometown of Copper Falls very similar to my hometown until I gave it to my librarian to read. So I have a favorite librarian. She is the librarian I grew up with. She still lives Aww. in the small town of 1300. And when I got the book deal, like I just wanted her to read it um, because her opinion means so much to me. And so mm-hmm. she read it and she was like, oh, and you put so-and-so in the book and, and so-and-so is here in this thing. And I was like... I didn't realize that. Um, So it was wild to see that like she saw all these parallels that I hadn't seen. But um, in terms of the, my hometown, the things that I knew about. So I grew up in a, um, in rural Ohio in this town of 1300, which is tiny, like 1300 Mm -hmm. people. And I wasn't from there. I moved there when I was five. Um, We lived in a trailer park in a different city first. And then, um, so when we, we moved there, I was a total outsider Everybody there was related. Everybody looked alike. They all went to the same church. Everybody was someone's cousin, like for Mm -hmm. real. Um, And this was, this was like so wild to me as somebody who hadn't ever had those connections. And then to be in a world where everybody knows each other and nobody knows you um, made me, I think, have to go inside myself and, you know, and fall in love with books and fall in love with characters and fall in love with that interiority to make sense of the things that were going on around me. So that sense of the world is certainly true of Lee in the book. She has moved to this small town when she was a kid and she still feels like an outsider, even though her family has been there for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like all of the other families have been there for much longer. So it's it's, (laughs) so interesting. Yeah. Centuries. Um, No, my hometown is also really small, but I'm one of the people that just has cousins everywhere. And so I'm on like the opposite end of it. Um, I was going to say, what is it like for you? I mean, it's still weird. Um, like everyone knows everyone, but I I always kind of catch myself on the outskirts just because I get overwhelmed with a lot of people generally. And so when you were saying, you know, everyone's a cousin, I was like, oh yeah, I get that. Like I I know that feeling. <laughs> I remember I was like, like talking shit about like somebody, um, you know, like as you do when you're young and you're just like, oh yeah, steam. And the person sitting on like the couch next to the person I was talking about was like, that's my cousin you're talking about. (laughs) And I had no idea. And I was like, and that is the last time I will ever open my mouth to say something negative ever again. Oh no. (laughs) I mean, if that was me and my cousin, I probably would have joined you. Um, (laughs) But we all like we most of us went to school together, like we're all relatively around the same age. And so we're all just really good friends and we raz each other oh, all the time. So at least so there's nice. that. And I'm so like envious of that. Oh, you can join my cousin group if you want. <laughs> Thank you. There's a ton of us. <laughs> um. So in The Hunter, are there any favorite lines or sections that you have in it that you'd like to share? Yeah, my um, my favorite scene, I have to say, of the book is the last scene, which I know you haven't read yet. But oh, I'm no. so excited okay. to hear what you think um, okay. because it was the scene that like, I feel like every time I've read it, and I've read it hundreds of times at this point, hundreds of times, um, it, I 
gets me like very emotional because it holds so much truth in terms of how like as humans we relate to each other um in the ways that we can be so sort of overwhelmed by our own problems that we don't see what's right in front of us so um obviously i can't share that one but um a <laughs> scene that i love <laughs> Oh, that would be terrible. It would ruin the book for you and for everybody listening. Oh, okay. Um, All right. So we'll just know that that's your favorite. Yes. But you're also welcome to anyone listening. Welcome to like email me or message me and tell me if you liked it. Oh, you Um, know I will. Oh, good. Please do. Please do. And (laughs) I really mean that. Um, So a, a description that I really like is kind of early on in the book. And it's when Lee returns to her hometown and a sign is coming into view um, for Copper Falls. And it says, um, up ahead, a hand-lettered sign came into view, a blink, maybe two. Then both of my hands returned to the steering wheel. Then a quake cracked cracked open my ribs. Suddenly there were two of me, the adult detective and the teenage girl, the one with power and the one with none, the sterile sutures sewn tight and the wound that could never heal, only avoid infection. Both versions were real now, only I never meant for them to meet. The slab of oak was held up by twin posts. Welcome to Copper Falls. And I really like that because I think it does a good job of representing some of the duality that we're going to be seeing in terms of like Lee's grappling with the person she is now and the person she used to be and the duality of a lot of the characters, um, you know, she encounters in this book and how when people are able to become whole, like combine the two parts of themselves, then, um, you know, then they come to this better place. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So, um, who was your favorite character to write? And then what can I ask? Yeah. Yeah. I want to know who is your favorite character so far to read. I'm very curious. So I, really like Simone um mm-hmm. Lee's daughter. I think she is the cutest little thing. Like she's <laughs> just anytime she pops up, I'm just like, "Oh." And um <laughs> the uncles are really cool. I think is it Frank is the oldest? Yeah, it's or... um Amen and Bear then Frankie. Okay. Um which and she was playing cops and robbers with Frankie, right? <laughs> yeah. Simone and Frankie. Like that, yeah, that whole was. scene was super cute. <laughs> and I loved that. And then Bear walks out in yoga pants. And I'm just like, oh, man. Um, so I have to say, like, I love the dynamics that are happening with all of the uncles um, and Simone. I just think they're so cute. I so they're agree. probably, yeah. I I really, really like um like secondary characters like mm-hmm. I love the main characters of books but I generally when I pick a favorite it's always someone that just is there and is just there to have a good time they're not having to deal yeah. with the problem they're just like living their life um yeah so I would say probably the <laughs> the uncles and Simone are my favorites <laughs> Um, I mean, that's very similar. I think my favorite characters to write were the uncles. So my mom actually has three brothers and, you know, they all lived in Cleveland. We did not live in Cleveland. So it was like two hours to get to see them. And so it was always a special treat when we did these big family get togethers. Um, because as I said, like I didn't have family nearby. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I remember at every family get together, these guys would just turn into tropes. So like one would become the funny uncle. One would be the little brother everybody picked on. The other would be like the straight laced military man. Um, mm-hmm. And I loved getting to see like this dynamic in action. It was like, I mean, it was like the three stooges or something. And I felt like I had front row tickets. So they oh. were, um, it was the coolest thing. So Lee's uncles are not my uncles, but um, they play off each other in this really similar way. That was so much fun mm-hmm. to write. Um, and even now, like, I think, like, how would Frankie respond to this? And how would Bear respond to this? And how would Eamon respond to this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can entertain myself endlessly, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I think Eamon right now where I'm at is probably the most mysterious out of the three mm-hmm. of them. Like, he hasn't really revealed much. And, I mean, part of me thinks that I don't think he's the killer, but I do think like maybe he had a relationship with one like one of the many people that have been murdered I don't know which Mm -hmm. one but there's Mm -hmm. I think six that we know about and there's more than that and so I think that might be a thing can we just talk about theories for a second yes please okay okay cool go on so Maud Hummel and her twin mm-hmm. sister. I think those two were the girls that were in the caves at one point and uh-huh. then like nothing happened. Like they were fine. They they came out alive and that's not something that people were used to. Just because I mean, it said sisters and right now those two I think are the only sisters that that we've seen. And so I'm mm-hmm. like I don't I don't remember how long ago it was, but I think it's them. They're sus. Um, <laughs> it's something. <laughs> but it, <laughs> so, I love this. Go on. Yeah. So that's what I thought about Maud. Um, I I have like two different tracks that I'm going on with these caves because they are like they do have the symbology in it. They do have like the, the um, places where, where people were sacrificed. And so part of me is like, well, what if it's a supernatural thing that's happening? Mm -hmm. But then I'm just like, but it could also be someone playing into it being a supernatural thing. But I just Mm -hmm. don't know how these bodies are not having any sort of, marking on them whatsoever uh-huh. and so that's uh-huh. really what's throwing me off like that's what's making me think it could be supernatural but also uh-huh. I feel like there's some sort of scientific solution to this I love this so much I love this <laughs> so much so who do you think is the killer or killers at this point oh man I don't know if I've even gotten to that point mm-hmm. i mean the police chief definitely is also suspicious but i think he's suspicious for like a different reason just because he's been targeting the people in the sticks and and we don't really have like a good enough reason for why mm-hmm. because like they they did a seizure for all of the quote unquote meth stuff, but Bear just revealed that it's not meth and that they uh-huh. like unlawfully seized all of this. And I'm just like, the, but why? 
And so that, that I think it could be wrapped up in the same mystery just because the, the guys, except for one of them, lived in the sticks, right? Mm-hmm. Like the most recent uh, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to, yeah. yeah. So I think actually they, the, the, the older ones did not live in the sticks and the newer ones mm-hmm. did live in the sticks. Okay. Yes. And so I feel like there could be a connection there, but because the older mm-hmm. ones did not live in the sticks, I'm not sure. I think the last mystery that I tried guessing things on with an author, I was like, it could be an American God situation <laughs> where the whole town is sacrificing <laughs> uh, these people just so they can survive. And and the author was like, I'm just going to come out and tell you that's that's wrong. Like that is incorrect. <laughs> Also, like, I kind of want you to keep hope alive that maybe that's happening. Um, it's, it's a supernatural reason. Like, it could be there. But I have a tendency to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And then at the end, I'll be like, I knew it, even though I did not. <laughs> um, that is 100% what I do. And so every time I read a book where, like, it hasn't been, like, within – the realm of my guesses, I get so excited. I was like, I had 42 yeah. guesses. And it was none of them. I know. I know. It's like, it takes a lot to surprise me in a book because mm-hmm. my brain is always going to all of these different things. Yes. And then when well it's it like something that I didn't think of, I'm just like, oh, that was, that was clever. That was good. Uh-huh. One of my favorite I mean, lines. I didn't... Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, exactly. No, 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 no. I was, um, I was going to add that one of my favorite lines when talking about endings is that it should be a surprising inevitability. So Mm. it shouldn't be so surprising that it's like, it comes out of the blue. You're like, what that character, I met them on page seven and they haven't come back yet. Um, that it should feel like you didn't see it coming, but you should have seen it coming. Um, yeah. Surprising inevitability. I really hope it's not Ronan. Like I kind of, I kind of like him. He Uh seems like a decent person for the most part, I think. Like he just, he loves his sister. He stands up for his sister. And so I think that would be like a real big betrayal if it's thrown in. (laughs) Um, I really, really, really want to tell you, but I can't. Yeah. Don't, don't tell me. But (laughs) like, because he, he's trying to get in with the police chief, like maybe there's something and the chief is suspicious. He wanted her home. You know, yeah. Yeah. And even after like all of the red flags of the, the chief hiring her without even calling Mm -hmm. any references or anything like that in itself does not seem quite mm-hmm. quite lined up with uh-huh. what you should probably be doing when you work for the police force so that's true that's true all yeah. i can tell you is that everything will be explained and it will all come together everything is related oh oh ooh, okay <laughs> all right well i'm very excited to finish this book like when we're done recording i'm just gonna sit down and and just read it um oh please, it's gonna be, please. Um, and then tell I'm me excited. Yes. Oh, 100%. Um, So this time we are going to take a little bit more of a left turn and start on kind of like your process. Um, Mm. Yeah. When you started the process for the book, did you 
did you have the mystery solved? What came first to you in terms of- That would be so nice. I'm so jealous of people who like have the mystery solved. They like close their eyes and they envision the whole story and then they just put pen to paper. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) The process is not like that. Uh, (laughs) It's much messier. I would say, you know, a lot of people will start with like, they have a scene in their head or they have, um, you know, a character or something that speaks to them. But for me, it's just a feeling like I want you to feel a certain way when you read this book. I think, you know, when I look at books that I fall in love with, sometimes I have a hard time describing why I love something. I'm just like, mm-hmm. just, it just, it just, it just, it made me feel things. And so that's always the goal. And I think that's the tricky part with a mystery because it's so based on, you know, here are the clues, here's the evidence, here's how it lines up to a conclusion. And so infusing all that with like this deep sense of feeling, I think has been really rewarding for me, but also very challenging. So Mm -hmm. when I started this book, I started with this feeling of just being an outsider. So I'd already felt like an outsider when I was growing up, you know, being from a different place and then coming to the mm-hmm. small town. And then when I started writing this book, I was living in New York city and I still felt so alien from that place. So, you know, like I'm from the small town. I said the word cousin with a T like cousin until I was a teenager. Um, you know, the first time I ate a pomegranate, I threw it away because I thought it had gone to seed. Like I didn't know you were supposed to eat the seeds. <laughs> like, I've never you eaten know. a pomegranate. <laughs> This is making me feel so much better. But like, you know, from this, like if you're in New York though, it's like, you know, if you don't know how to order your sushi correctly, you know, you get these, Mm -hmm. these sort of like dismissive looks. Yeah. Like a side eye. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I kept feeling like New York was going to kick me out at some point. Like they were going to figure out that I didn't belong there and they were going to kick me out. So I created this character who was shunned by the people in the city. It was like my worst fear coming to pass. And I Mm -hmm. thought, where does that leave her? Where does that leave me? And how would that force her to confront her own worst fears about herself if if that happened? Because ultimately, like my fears about New York City kicking me out were not about the city itself. It was about something inside me that was, you know, struggling to feel Mm -hmm. that connection. All right. So then, (laughs) you know, that was such a long answer. No, that's okay. Um, as you were writing it, what was like a day in the life for you? I mean, you're writing kind of like your worst fears out. Was it a bit yeah. therapeutic? Are you you? I mean, always thriving and and. <laughs> I feel like every time you write something or you read something, it should change you a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I think all of the best books, you feel like a different person when you finish it than you were when you started it. Um, and I think the same is true when you're writing. So it's like, you know, it started off from a place where it was about my worst fears, but it's hopefully turned into this really immersive story that people, um, you know, can feel connected to because it represents something in their lives as well, um, that it's not just about me. And when I was writing, you know, it, um, it was just about stealing moments for me. I have a lot of other stuff going on as I think everybody in the universe does. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't have one of those writing experiences where I could like get up and grind my coffee by hand and then sit on the patio and contemplate. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, type out a little bit and take a nap. (laughs) 
that would have been nice. But what um, a life! You know, just, oh my gosh! What a life! I, sometimes I hear these stories of people's writing lives, and I'm just like, how is that possible? Like, who, is, <laughs> who made this possible for you, and why aren't they helping me? Also, um, and so for me, it was just like stealing moments, and um, you know, 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there, and then in the background, as I'm going through the rest of my life you know, the story is just playing out so that when I finally get to sit in front of the computer, I know exactly the scene that's going to come out or what I'm going to say. That's excellent though. I mean, writing isn't always just sitting down and writing. Like it is coming up with, with what you're going to do before it. Like it makes sense. It makes sense to me. Um, (laughs) I'm not like a writer, but it makes sense to me. I heard Um, this interview with, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, go for it. <laughs> I'm just so chatty. Um, I heard this interview with an author once who said that she felt like her readers thought that if she just typed faster, then she could write more books faster. <laughs> like that's all it was. It was just like being able to uh-huh. being uh-huh. able to type fast as opposed to like recognizing that like probably like 70, 80% of writing is thinking about things um, mm-hmm. or trying things and having them not work and that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. So on top of being a novelist, you are also a literary agent. You mentioned it earlier, but I let's yeah. talk about it. That's super cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. How how did you get into it? And can you uh, tell us like the about your job? Yeah, I have the coolest job in the world. Uh, I guess being an astronaut is also pretty cool, but also scary. <laughs> Who wants to be stuck in outer space? It's basically like a cave, but bigger. Yeah, um, and no one can hear you scream. No one can hear you scream. And if you go outside, you literally die. It sounds yes. terrible. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's why I have the coolest job. It's better than being an <laughs> astronaut. Um, how I became a literary agent. So I was in grad school and I hated it. I hated it so much. I am not one of those people who is cut out for like that academic world. Um, and I really wanted to write fiction. I had been working on a few things and it was so much more rewarding than anything I was doing in grad school. And so I went to this local writers conference and I read something I'd written out loud. And afterwards, you know, somebody in the audience came up to me and said he needed a ghostwriter. Was I interested? And from there I started ghostwriting and I was good at it. And it was exciting, you know, especially coming from academia. And so I told my husband, I was like, I think we need to move to New York City. And he said, maybe, which of course I took to mean yes. And I just started like making plans. (laughs) I was like, here's where we will live. Here's when we're moving. Oh, our lease is up. I already like ended it. Poor, poor man. (laughs) And so (laughs) we're still together. It's been, you know very many years and he's still with me. So thank God. Um, and we moved to New York city. Nobody wanted to hire me because I was old at the time I was 27. Um, and nobody wanted a 27 year old assistant. Uh, and so I just started like cold pitching myself to places. Eventually somebody said yes. And so I turned an internship into, um, into being an assistant and then eventually got to be an agent And now my job is all about finding people who have really cool ideas and really cool stories and, you know, waving my magic wand and saying, let's, you know, let's build you a dress and let's get Mm -hmm. you a carriage. 
anyway. And um, yeah. And so they get these, these cool book deals and they get to live out their dreams and it's the best job. Oh, I mean, it just sounds so cool. So do you do, do you get like submissions or do you seek out people or is it a bit of both? Yeah, it's a bit of both. Uh, I'll get submissions from people who, you know, sometimes will be an interesting person who's writing about an idea that I don't think I could sell. So this happened with a book that I sold earlier this year, or I guess last year in 2022, uh, about, you know, an author who had, who wanted to write a very, very specific book in nonfiction. And I thought, oh, I can't do anything with that. And so I Googled her. I started reading some of the things she'd written and I found a piece she'd written for narratively um, that I was like, oh, that's the beginning of a great book. And we sold her book at a big auction and, uh, and it'll come out in a, probably in two years because publishing takes forever. But it was one of those things where I was like, you know, I helped somebody who I think would have had a tough time in the querying process because the idea she was pitching wasn't, I think, the idea that would be like a, a breakout hit. And I got to help her, you know, make her dreams come true. And now I think she'll have this pretty amazing career. And it's it's a pretty great feeling to go home at the end of the day being like, there's this book that exists in part because of something I did. Wow. Yeah. You are truly astounding. Um, <laughs> you sound like a fairy godmother. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I just need the dress and the wand. Yeah, 100%. Well, I do princess parties like on the side. I can send send a princess really? dress for you. I do. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, can I hear more about this? Yeah, I mean, no, I <laughs> I I started doing them um right out of college. I I college was also not necessarily for me. I ended up getting an associate's degree and um then I like, I wanted to be a professional actor. And so I did. And so I did a lot of theater. Um, But before, like in the in-between college and then moving to Atlanta to work with the Atlanta Shakespeare Company, um, I started doing princess parties. And like my mom's best friend hired me for my very first gig for like her daughter who turned four. And I was Elsa and I sang a song. Apparently it was so moving. It made me people cry. And I was like, I didn't think it was that good, but okay. And so then I just like I kept doing so it. <laughs> I love this so much. And I, if you would like to sing a song as Elsa on this podcast today, I would be open to it. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry, but I am not prepared for that. So. <laughs> we'll enough, just have to leave enough, it to enough. the imagination. Um, <laughs> but now I live in California and I I do children's theater like at my local parks and rec department. And um, so I sometimes do princess events for like younger kids because I normally work with like eight-year-olds and older, but there's a huge amount of like five and younger that go to the park all the time. And so we, we plan events and stuff and do princess things. I love this so much. I love this so much. It's fun. It's pretty cool. Kids get, it's like when they see Santa and they just immediately Uh clam up and they don't want to, but then there's some that will just not stop talking. And like, Um. I'll go over to different tables and the kids will like follow me and just continue talking. I'm just like, 
thank you so much. But I have to talk to these friends over here because they want time with the princess too. Um, It's the cutest thing. Oh my God. So I thought I had the best job in the world, but it turns out you have the best job in the world. No, no, no. Got it. I think we're, you are actually a fairy godmother. (laughs) You're making adult dreams come true. I am making children's dreams come true. (laughs) I love this. I love this. Yes. (laughs) All right. So let's get back to books. All right. Right. (laughs) Right. This is what we're here for. Um, Do you have any authors that really inspire you? Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, I think anybody who is a writer worth their salt, like loves reading and probably fell in love with reading first. So um, Tana French is the likeness will always hold the special mm-hmm. place in my heart. Do you know the book? Um, Do you like it? No, I just know Tana okay. French. So that oh, was what that oh, noise was like. Oh, I recognize that out there. <laughs> uh, which books of hers have you read or which one do you really like? Um, I have only read in in the woods into yeah. the woods. Yeah, it's in I the always woods, forget right? too because of into the woods. Yeah, same. Um, I can I avoid saying it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to have done that. So that is out out there. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I've read that one, which is the first in mm-hmm. that series. That's not her first one ever, is it? Or is it her first one ever? She was an actor too. Oh, well, that's cool. The more you know. Yeah, Um, Yeah, she was an actor and she like eventually started turning down acting gigs so she could write. And that's when she was like, oh, maybe I'm a writer. Nice. I love that for her. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Tana French, who else? Um, and the likeness is the second one in that series. So it uses the same um, like female detective from the first mm-hmm. book is in the likeness. And it's so cool because it's like draws its inspiration from Rebecca, the Daphne du Maurier book, and then the secret history. So highly recommend. Um, I love Attica Locke. I don't know if you've read her books, but she is the oh. sister of Tembi Locke, who did the From Scratch show on Netflix. It was a book first. Um, and so Attica Locke's books just represent all this moral ambiguity throughout, um, throughout, which I think is really interesting. I think that obviously Gillian Flynn has these amazing mm-hmm. twists, which I would love to emulate. I'm always, when I'm working on a book, I'm like, okay, and when is the twist coming? Cause there has to be a moment where like everything you thought you knew was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Oyenkun Braithwaite is really great. That's uh, my sister, the serial killer book. And that she has like this incredible pacing. Um, I don't know if you've read Louise Penny. She creates these like amazing communities that we just fall in love with. Uh, so, so many, so many. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> do you have an all-time favorite book? Sure. I mean, I have. <laughs> do you have an all-time favorite book? Uh, no, there's so many books. It like, um, I think the longest running favorite book I've got is The Night Circus. Oh, yeah, Aaron Morgenstern. I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, like, description and also the sense of like everything you thought you knew was wrong. Mm-hmm. But what about you? What What is your favorite book? So, uh, my favorite book is probably, cause again, like I have all these books that I've loved over the years, but they're always connected to like who I was at the time I mm-hmm. read that book. 
Um, and so I can't really divorce like what I love about the book with, with that experience. But I think the book that I've loved the longest, um, you know, my mother gave it to me. It's like this, this green leather bound copy that I read on that copy when I was 13. She read on that copy when she was 13. My sister read on that copy when she was 13. Um, and we all just like, it was the first book that we all fell in love with together and it was Pride and Prejudice, which, um, <laughs> oh, you know, I still, love that. Yeah. <laughs> just like holds a special place in my heart because it, it's what connects me to, you know, my family members. Yeah. Oh, so have you like read any of the adaptations like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies or, or yes. that's the only one that comes to mind actually. <laughs> uh, and then there was one at uh, Evie Zaboy did, I think it was called Pra. I don't remember the title of hers was, but yes, I read so many adaptations and, um, you know, so many of them I love. Some of them I don't love. We won't talk about those, sure. but, um, sure. But yeah, and then the BBC version from like back in the day. Did had you ever Colin see that? Firth? No. Yes. No, I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, see, and again, it's like I cannot divorce that from like when I saw it. I'm pretty sure I was 13. I'm pretty sure I was like <laughs> like lying down on my mom's waterbed. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, like watching it in segments because it's like, I don't know, like six or eight hours long. Mm -hmm. And we watched it for like a week. We all watched it together. So again, it's one of those things where I love it so much. And I don't know if I love it through nostalgia or because it's actually like very, very good. Well, I think it is actually very good. Okay. But, (laughs) but it like, like, but I mean, having the nostalgia attached to it is, is always great. My first, uh, adaptation of Pride and Prejudice was the Kira Knightley movie and mm-hmm. like that one I watched it one time through fell in love with the music for it and oh. wa- like turned it immediately back on right after I finished it just because it was so good <laughs> I loved it <laughs> oh that's so lovely and the, the yeah. soundtracks for some of these are just phenomenal mm-hmm. uh, I love the soundtrack for the Jane Eyre the most recent Jane Eyre one that they did Dario something. Anyway. Oh yeah. Um, I, I think yeah. I'll write all of these tracks because the the music is so like almost over the top and just lush and filled with emotion. And I love it so much. It's excellent. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, we are reaching the end. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Do you have any books that you want to throw out there on top of your own? Which I mean, it comes out in like two days from oh my this podcast. So if people haven't pre-ordered it already, they should. They um, should absolutely pre-order. Yes. 100%. Tell me what you think about it. I, I yeah. love getting messages from people saying, I read your book and here are my thoughts. I mean, unless it's like totally eviscerating. Um, <laughs> it's so yeah, much we're fun to hear that like good vibes. Good vibes only. Yes. Yes. But it's so much fun to like get to see that like people actually like bought this book and then read it. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's phenomenal. Just like the best feeling. Uh, I I will make a pitch for some nonfiction books that I represent that have come out that you should definitely read. Um, one of my clients is Devin Price. His book, uh, Autism Unmasked has been, I mean, probably different than, you know, somebody who's reading, um, like a lot of fiction, but it, 
talking about how we, you know, how we celebrate autism in all of its various forms and how, you know, how autistic people can move throughout the world in a way that, um, you know, that makes their lives easier, given Mm -hmm. that the world was not built with their needs in mind. That one I think is really phenomenal. Another one that I love is what doesn't kill us makes us. It's all about how tragedy and trauma shape us and who we become in the wake of, of things that like rock our worlds. So mm-hmm. how we how we build new identities and make sense of them. So those are two books that I'll just represent uh, because I'm an agent and I cannot stop myself. And I work mostly on nonfiction. But, um, you know, one of the best parts about being a lover of books and someone who, um, you know, who works in this world is that you can just go to your local bookstore and ask them for recommendations. And they just, every, every person at a bookstore or at a library loves books and will Mm -hmm. like shove 20 in your hands. And it's the best. (laughs) It is the best. Thank you for, for throwing those out there. I hope our audience checks them out. I know they sound cool to me. I might check them out too. Um, (laughs) You should. So I will. Um, where can people find you if they want to send their thoughts about the hunter? Yes, and please. or they so, just want to say hi. Yeah, or you know, pictures of like princess parties. I will also take <laughs> because I'm not over it and it seems great. Jenniferherrerabooks.com. So it's my last name is spelled H-E-R-R-E-R-A. And that has all the links. So it has the buy links for, you know, any bookstore you want, as well as Twitter and Instagram is where you'll find me. All right. Oh, that's excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's such a lovely conversation. Um, I'm very excited. It was really (laughs) fun. And tell me, um, you know, tell me when you get to the end. I want to hear. Oh, I absolutely will. All right. Uh, thank you so, so much again. Um, good luck with your your book publish, publishing journey. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, we heckin' did it, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard and want to support the show, share it with your other bookish friends and family members. And if your podcast app has ratings, please take a minute to rate and review the show. I'm off to read the next book in Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events for my monthly Patreon series, A Summary of Unfortunate Events, which is a middle-of-the-pool dive into the series we all know and love. And if you'd like to hear it, subscribe to our Patreon by following the link in the Novel Finds bio on Instagram, which you should totally be following if you're not already. Thanks again for being a novel friend. We'll see y'all next week. Bye!